Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 2, verse 13. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We want you to follow along. Grab a Bible from one of the people coming down the aisles. We'll hand it to you. Don't feel weird about it. We do it every week. If you don't own a Bible, you do now. It's our free gift to you. Please take this one home with you. If you just forgot yours today, take this. Leave it on your way out. Okay, Mark 2, verse 13. Now, uh, let me talk about last week real quick. A lot of you guys weren't here. Last week we looked at is, is two stories, and we couched those stories as being stories where uh, there's those type of stories where you just remember where you were when they happened. Right? You're like, okay, if I look to my past, the, where was I? And we talked about where were you when 9-11 happened? And how that's, what, where, what exactly were you doing? And I guarantee you that if you, are, if you were alive <laughs> during 9-11, uh, you remember where you were, what you were thinking, what was going through your mind, and how you first heard about what was going on in New York City. Okay? It was just one of those events where where was I when? Okay? If you're a bit older, where, where, where was I when Pearl Harbor happened? Right? Where was I when we found out about all of these different events? They're just things where, man, I remember when. And what we get today is a third story just like that. We get a third story where I guarantee you that people who were there during this moment, just like the previous two, the cleansing of the leper, the healing of the paralytic, there were many people, lots of crowds all around, um, they would remember exactly, okay, this is where I was, this is what I was thinking, and as a result of this story, my understanding of God and my worldview completely changed. Okay? That, that my understanding of who God is, what he's about, how he loves, how he approaches, what his mission is, and what my view of the world as it is, is. It changes, okay? When you get confronted with stories like this. And so my hope was that we would get some of that last week, and I think Jesus does something so miraculous in this moment, so uh, unprecedented in many ways, that this again should transform the way we see Jesus, we see the world, and we see our part in it, Okay? That's my hope today. So let's go. Mark 2, verse 13. He says, He went out again beside the sea, says Jesus, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. So Jesus is walking along again by the sea. He spots a tax collector named Levi. This is Levi. This is Matthew of the book of Matthew. Okay? He gets his name changed later. So he sees Levi, this tax collector, and he calls out to him and says, Hey, Levi, come and follow me. Okay. Now, this is the fifth time he's making this statement. Right? Or he's made it to four previous men. To Peter, to Andrew, to James and John, and saying, Listen, guys, follow me. Come with me. Do what I do. See what I see. And then let's live this out together. And so he invites these first four. This is his fifth, is Levi. Now, on so many levels, this calling makes no sense. Even more so than the first four, this one makes no sense for just to invite this guy into his group of disciples to say, hey, I want you, come with me, follow me, be part of my mission. And here's why, okay? Um, the first thing is there, there's lots of options at this point. Right, that at this point, Jesus' ministry is in full swing. So you've got lots of crowds beginning to come around Christ, wanting to learn, wanting a piece of him, some of them wanting to, uh, to use his popularity for their own gain. Whatever it was, there was a lot of people to choose from, and yet Jesus picks out this guy. This doesn't make sense. 
amongst all the options out there, if you, how many people remember playing dodgeball in PE growing up? I don't even know if you guys can do that anymore if you're younger, right? But dodgeball, right? And if you, you get two team captains and you begin to pick through the teams and what was left over was usually the unathletic overweight kid, right? Who couldn't move and would always get hit in the face. And that was me, right? And so um, I remember just being like, just please. And it wouldn't happen. And I cried and whatever. Jesus saved me, Okay. But remember that moment, right, where, where you, you, you pick and you say, okay, I have all these options. Of course, I'm going to pick this guy. He looks like he knows what he's doing. He can throw a ball. Jesus has got options. He, he can look out into the field and say, you know what? There's all these guys and there's all these guys. And they, man, they would be way better at this than this guy. And yet he still calls the tax collector. To understand the depth of this, we have to understand exactly what it meant to be a tax collector in this day, Right? We, we got to get this because it was not good, okay? A lot of you are already thinking now, like, well, I don't like an, IR, an IRS today, right? You're like, it's, it's April 15th, it's coming around the corner, so some of this is churning for you. This was far worse, okay? This was far worse. So here, let's, let's go tax collector. Here's some of the things that you would not like about a tax collector. One, nobody likes paying taxes, so this was annoying, okay? Two, though, the tax collector, this guy signed up essentially to work for an oppressive regime. So the Romans, okay, were the occupying force over the Jews. The Jews had to sit under their authority. Now a tax collector, Levi, he's a Jew who then went to work for the Roman government and says, okay, I will be an intermediary. I will sit in between the Jews who are my people and the Roman occupiers. So this guy was, was a betrayer. This guy was a Benedict Arnold. This guy was right in the middle and said, man, no, I'm going to take advantage of this situation and exploit my own people. So to many people, even worse than the leper, which we studied last week, which was unclean, right, based on law, even more so this man was hated because the leper didn't choose his leprosy, but the tax collector certainly chose his profession. And so this man willingly gives over his talent and his time and his investment in an exploitive manner. Exploitative? Exploitative. I don't know, it's a tough word. In a way that partners with the occupying force and goes against his own people. This was not something that people took too kindly to. In the midst of taking these taxes, not only would he take taxes for Rome, oftentimes tax collectors would take above and beyond what was necessary and they would line their own pockets with this money. Okay, so what you had is this rich Roman government, and then you had the, uh, generally most of the Jews were, were living pretty poor in comparison to the line. And you now had Jews who were taking advantage of the situation, lining their own pockets, and then living lavish lifestyles and flaunting it to the rest of the Jews. So not only were they taking money, were they embezzling money, but they were doing so and then letting everybody know about it. Hey, I've got more than you've got. Okay, nobody likes that guy, right? From then until today, nobody likes that guy. This is another reason why this wouldn't have been too good for them, for Jesus to call this guy, okay? Jesus even references in Matthew 18, when he's talking about church discipline, Jesus is talking about church discipline in Matthew 18, what to do when there's an unrepentant sinner, right? As they continue to sin and continue to sin, eventually he says, you know what? You need to treat them like a pagan or an unbeliever, and a tax collector. These are the words that Jesus used. He's like, listen, if, if someone is unrepentant and they keep sinning over and over and over and never repent of it, treat them then like a tax collector. And so that's the view that Christ even has. He has this kind of, wait a minute here, there's something going on in society. Why would Jesus call this guy? 
to illustrate this best, we, uh, we were talking about how many people have seen the movie Schindler's List. I mean, just a, just a brilliant, brilliant film, incredibly hard to watch. Now, and I'll pardon my, my pronunciation of this word, but there was a, a council, a group of, of Jewish people called the Judenrat, okay? And this council was, was appointed by the Jewish people, but actually really selected by the Nazi regime. And these people served in between the Jews of the day and the Nazi occupiers. Now these people were supposed to advocate for the Jewish people. They were supposed to say, no, I'm with you in solidarity and I'm going to represent you. And oftentimes it did not happen that way. See, oftentimes what would happen with this Jewish council is instead is that they would be given favor when the rest of their Jewish brothers and sisters were not given favor. What would often happen with them is they were asked, actually forced to say, listen, you are going to have to collect the Jews in your town, bring them to the depot for deportation. They would go to the Yudadrat and they would ask them, hey, where does everyone live? What are their names? How many children do they have? They would be the people that built the catalog so that Nazis could go to Jewish homes and take people and send them to camps. These were Jewish people working for an occupying force and they were hated. There's this quote from uh, Hannah Arendt, and she was a German-born assimilated Jew, okay? And she's a historian and a philosopher, and she says this in retrospect, looking back on this role, on the Judenrat, and, and the role it had in the Holocaust, and she says this, to a Jew, this role of the Jewish leaders in the destruction of their own people is undoubtedly the darkest chapter of the entire dark story of the Holocaust. If there is an equivalent to this, it's the tax collector. It's the guy who says, no, I'm going to sign up for the team that's pushing the rest of my people down. It's I'm going to do things, I'm going to lavish, I'm going to get things into my lifestyle that allows myself to be different from them. And this is what we have. I mean, I mean it just, just let this sink for a little because here's what's going on. Jesus is calling that guy. And Jesus is a Jew. So a lot of the work of the tax collector was actually oppressing his own people. And Jesus calls that guy. Amongst all the options, amongst everything out there, he chooses the traitor. He chooses the one who's going against his own people. He chooses the one that flaunts it so that the rest of his people feel jealous. He's the one that everybody hates. And Jesus calls him. It's not even like this guy just, Levi just came and said, please, can I follow you? No, he calls him and says, no, 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 follow me. You're coming with. That's the guy. The last reason why I think this is just a, a crazy moment that Christ, where Christ calls this guy is, is, again, remember who he's walking with. He's walking with, with Peter. He's walking with Andrew and James and John. These were four Jewish fishermen. This is by the Sea of Galilee. There's, uh, it's an assumption. We don't see it necessarily in Scripture, but there's probably a pretty good chance that much of the work that these four men were doing was being taxed directly by Matthew or someone he worked for. Right? That these four guys who were the first four called who thought they were in the in crowd. Finally, okay, man, I've gone from just, I'm just being a fisherman, but now I'm with Jesus. I'm with the Messiah. I'm with the Savior. He's going to overthrow everything I'm in. And then Jesus goes and invites their enemy in. Wait, are you going to invite that guy? That guy's been stealing money from me for years. How does he belong? 
And so not only does Jesus invite it in the midst of all of the social repercussion, just in his own crew, people saying, but why him? Why him? And yet Jesus still calls him. Okay. Gosh, and that just, that just leads us to ask ourselves, is there anything, is there anything that I could do that would ever make Jesus not want me for his own? Is, is there any possible thing I could do, think, act on, live for, that Jesus wouldn't say, follow me, come and be my disciple? Is there anything that's pushed me too far away? And man, this story is, is the capstone story to say, no, there's not. And I began to think about this week, I thought, man, well, what... What are those? There's so many things that I would even think in my own life where I'm like, gosh, it, geez, how would you even accept me? I, I, don't think I'm, I don't think I'm a traitor. I don't think I've betrayed my people. I, but, but man, I've got, I've got a list. And I, I began to think about stuff. I began to just run through stuff in my mind. Stuff that I was like, man, this is just, this is my heart. And I, man, I realized, and this is just, I did this all in a day where I just kind of took a triage of my day and I thought through, okay, what, what am I dealing with? What sins are there? And it was, it was pride, anger, impatience, vanity, lust, fear, and doubt. And that was in the span. I mean, this was at like 10 in the morning. I had gotten, I was up for about four hours at that point and I was like, man, geez, why? I got all this stuff going. I, mean, I get angry, I get frustrated, I get impatient. And I, I get vain, which I know you're thinking, like, you've had a chipped tooth for a month, you're not that vain, right? But I mean, I get vain, right? I get, well, you know, why, Jesus? If you are who you say, if you're God, if you created me, if you're perfect, which are all things I believe to be true, in what way do I have any right to be part of your family? And the answer is, I don't. See, there's many reasons why it does not make sense for Jesus to call Levi, and there are a ton of reasons why it doesn't make sense for Jesus to call me, and there are a ton of reasons why it doesn't make sense for Jesus to call you. And there's really just one reason. There's just one reason why it does make sense. And it's because Jesus, I mean, period, because Jesus, because that's who he is, because that's his character, because that's the kingdom that he is bringing, because that is who God is. He brings in the broken. He's here to redeem and restore. There's nothing too far from his grasp. The only reason why any of this could ever make sense is if a loving God chose to do so. So just like last week when we saw that the two things that Jesus did the healing of the leper, the cleansing of the leper, the healing of the paralytic, the forgiveness of sins in that story, right? Those are two things that only God could do. Here's another one. Jesus, again, defining and shaping his authority as the son of God amongst a crowd. I'm here. And I love you, so follow me. Okay? The calling on Levi's life remains the calling on our life as well. Will we follow Christ? And there are no reasons not to. There are... There are no things that you've done. There's nothing in your past that would ever make Jesus not say those words to you. Now, if you're hearing a Christian, you're like, okay, well, I've already said yes, I'm already in. Man, I get, he says it every day. 
He says it every day. I mean, I'm running through that triage of my sins and I, I want to kind of get down on myself and say, why do I belong? Why should I do this? Why should I be preaching your word? Why should I? Why should I? Why should I? And honestly, he just says, follow me today and I do it. And then he's faithful. So this is good news for those here who've been walking with Christ for years. There's good news here for those who just got saved. There's good news here for those who come and show up today not knowing Christ. Follow him. Okay, follow him. Um, so here's, here's what happened. Levi does follow. He is obedient. And, and, and again, I just wanna, I want, to, I want you guys to just wrap your mind around what faith this must have been for this guy. To walk into this room to say, yeah, I'm in. It's all of the social pressure. What it meant for him to show up and do this. Uh, we had a buddy uh, named Travis down in, when I was working for Redemption Tempe. And uh, this guy, he was, he was a non-Christian. This guy I had met at work. Anyway, I invite him in. I say, hey man, you should come to church for me. It'd be really great. You know, you should come to church and it'd be funny. He says to me, a classic line, right? He goes, man, if I set foot in a church, God would just strike me right down. Like lightning bolt, bam, gone, right? You've probably heard that. And so uh, naturally, we invite him to church and he comes a little bit early. I say, hey man, I want you to show up around, you know, 9.30, 9.15, help set up and stuff. You can hang out. We'll get some food. So he shows up at like 9.20 and he walks in the room. We had this whole thing set up where he walks right in the door. We shut the lights off and we played a blaring, thunderous noise and shot lightning. I kid you not. <laughs> Runs out of the church, terrified. He got me. Never came to church again. No, I'm just kidding. No, no, no. Just kidding. Came back in. I said, listen, man. <laughs> I mean, he appreciated that, I think. But what faith? What faith was it for, for Levi to come? Well, I mean, listen, if you're, if you're here, I just want to give you a, kind of a shout. If you're here and you're not a Christian. I know it sometimes it's, oh, it's weird. Right? It's weird, weird to come to church. If you're not used to it, it's not something you've done. You're just like, man, okay, I'll go try this and see what happens. And I just want to thank you for being here. I want to encourage you in that because I, I know it can be strange to listen and have to, man, where do I add up and all this stuff. And I just, again, I just want to say to you, like, you add up because of Jesus and we'll get to that, okay? But there's nothing. There's nothing if you're here that he's not calling you to follow him. All right, let's keep going. Verse 15. And he reclined, and as he reclined at the table in his house, and now this is Levi reclining, as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. So here's the scene. We've got uh, Levi. He says, okay, I'll follow you. And then he says, man, we'll come back to my house. Let's, let's go back to my place. We're going we're gonna to go, and I'm going to invite some friends over, and we're going to get all these tax collectors and all these sinners, and we're all going to go eat. How's that sound, Jesus? He says, I'm in. And so they go back to Levi's place. And, and Levi's the one reclining here. Now this, this might seem kind of like a minute detail, but it's actually pretty important. The fact that Levi is reclining, this means that he's given up the right of host and is now leaning back and saying, I'm just a guest here. Because during this time, when they would have meals, there'd be at the host at the center, at the head of the table, and he would usually sit straight up, and then around the table would be all of these men or women reclining and sitting back and, and listening, right? Being part of the discussion. And so what Levi has done is says, come back to my place, but you hold the honor. Come back to my place. Let, let, let's go have some food. Let's enjoy. I'm going to bring my friends, and, and you know, but you're, you're the honor. You're the host. And so they sit around the table and they listen and learn, be my guest. And they share a meal. Okay. And Jesus sits and now he has all of these sinners in front of him. 
Right? All of these people at the world would say, man, don't spend time with them. And he embraces them. And he spends time with them. Pastor West Little, if you guys were here probably about three or four weeks ago, pastor from Redemption Alhambra Village, he came up and preached. And one of the things he was talking about, he, he brought up this question, I want to reiterate it now, was, um, will you take Jesus home with you? And I, just, I love the question because it's so practical. Right? W- will you take Jesus home with you? So, so Matthew follows him, but then he says, okay, this isn't just going to be the kind of this thing I do in this one space at this one time, but Jesus wants you to come back with me. We'll go to my place. And I'll invite you into, I mean, listen, your home is your home, right? It, it reflects you. It is a place that is yours. And so he said, come and be here. And so will you take Christ home with you? Man, I loved that question. I began to think of it in this context. Will, will, I bring Christ, or will we just segregate Jesus and the following of him to Sunday church attendance? Like, is our relationship with Jesus, following him, confined to an hour and a half to an hour and 45 minutes on a Sunday morning? Maybe toss in a Bible study or a small group event somewhere in there. Or will you bring him home? Will you bring him into your life, into your livelihood? Well, what does that look like? And then, after you've invited him in, when he comes into your home, who, who is given the power to host? In other words, who's in control? So you bring him home, you sit at the head of the table and say, well, Jesus, it's good to have you here. Thanks for coming. I'm glad you're part of my life, but we're going to do what I want to do. We're going to talk about what I want to talk about. I'm going to host this show, and then you can be here. Or do you do what Matthew's done? Do you do what Levi's done where he said, come to my house, and you're in control. You sit at the place of honor. We learn from you. We're guests of you. And so it's ask us, in light of that question, which is, will you take Christ home? And when you do, who's in control? Who's in control of your life? Okay. All right. Let's keep going. Verse 16. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners, right? So you got everyone enjoying a meal, and then typical Pharisee, they come in, or typical scribe in this moment, but different translations say scribes and Pharisees, some say scribes of Pharisees, some say just Pharisees, but there's the religious elite are here, and they're, they're, they're in the room, right? And they say, man, what, what is Jesus doing? Uh, does he not, did he not read Leviticus 10 through 15? Does he not know the law? Does he not realize that what he's partaking in right now would make him unclean? Like, you're not supposed to dine at the table with Gentiles, and here's Jesus sitting with Gentiles, sinners, broken people. And so a Pharisaic interpretation of the Old Testament law would say, Jesus should not be doing this. He is against the law. He's making himself unclean. And like we saw last week, Jesus is not made unclean by the touching of the leper, but the leper is made clean. What should have happened, he flips the script. Same thing here. Jesus goes into this room. He is not made unclean. The others are being cleansed. And what a beautiful picture of the love of God. What a beautiful picture. He comes in and listen. And then this becomes then instruction for what it means for us to engage the world. Now you often hear the, uh, the saying, if, if you've been in church for some time, you hear, in the world, not of the world. 
right? In the world, not of the world. And it's, it's said all the time, over and over, but what does that actually mean? And I'll say this, and, and there's nuances to it, but I think it's what we see with Jesus. It's when we go somewhere, if you love Jesus, you influence the culture, the culture doesn't influence you. That doesn't mean that we don't have, in, we're not influenced at all by culture. It doesn't mean that we don't see things in culture. It's not that all culture is bad. It's saying that we as Christians, if we love Jesus, when we enter into the room, it is not our compromise that we would lead, be led into sin. It is our light, it is our salt, it is our fruit that will then be imparted to others as they are influenced by the gospel and the spirit of God in us. In the world, not of the world. So we can go places and we can do things and we can show up to things that their sinners are at, guys. And we can be there. And we just don't sin. Uh, Practically, don't sin. But get in the mess. Get in the mess. Because if you're not, man, I just wonder, like, where, what are we missing and what Christ is doing here? If we're supposed to be Christians, Christ followers, what, what are we missing? I'd love, and, and maybe this is something I'm just going to start doing with you guys. I, you're going to show up on Sunday, I'm going to say, hey man, how many, how many sinner parties did you go to, right? How many times did you show up to a, to a sinner's house? That sounds so awkward. I'm actually not going to do that. That sounds stupid. <laughs> but like, in other words, like, what are we doing if we're just so like, ah, you know what, let me just stay over here because I don't want to be made unclean. I don't want to be made unclean, so I don't I want to go and spend time with these people that society would say, that's not good. I don't want to spend time with these people who even my religion would say, man, they're, they're, they're not doing super well. No, we, we engage. We, we press in. We interact. We influence. And we live life amongst the broken. Okay. And just like Christ, we are not made unclean. But through Christ, hopefully, we are a cleansing power to the world. Okay. That's, that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're supposed to do. We had a, someone, when they first found out that we were coming to, after we left the Seventh-day Adventist church, which actually had similar people saying we shouldn't be meeting there either. It's weird. Uh, but people saying, hey, hey why they're meeting in the Orpheum? Do they know what happens there? Music? You know what I mean? Loud music? And drinking, right? And they go on the line. It's just, you know, and, and they said, uh, man, it's just, if, if we were, if I was going to be in there, man, I just, I feel like I just have to pray over that place all the time, all the sin that happens there, you know? And I thought to myself, I said, man, if that's true, you better be praying 24-7 because there's not a place you touch in this world that is not filled with sin. There's not a place in this world that you're going to go that sin has not touched and tarnished. This place isn't any more sinful than another place, guys. It's all broken. All in need of redemption. And so why did we come here? We came here because there's a, enough room, right? I mean, like, it was, it was more practical than you think. <laughs> we also came here because, man, we, we want to love the city, and this is a great spot for us to do it. We get to meet people by being here that we normally wouldn't be able to meet. Interact with businesses that we wouldn't be able to interact with. Okay? We engage. Now, let me be very clear. I just want to say something. That doesn't mean that if, if people are, like if someone meets in a church building, that's fantastic. 
I mean, literally, we're, we're actively looking for our own space. I mean, it would be fantastic to have something Monday, Sunday through Monday. Don't, that wouldn't be right. That'd be only two days. Monday through Sunday. Right? Like, we would love that. So, listen, nothing wrong with church buildings. If you guys know anyone giving them away for free, we'll take one. Okay? Uh, but we're here, and, and we're, we're engaging as much as we can. We do that wherever we're at. I just... Man, there, there has to be us looking at the life of Christ and saying, well, what, what are you doing here? And the last thing, look, look at Levi too. I, I, lo- I love what Levi is doing because then come back to my house and he doesn't say, okay, let me clean up my mess. Right? He doesn't say, let, let, me, let me take care, let me keep my sinners far away from you because I'm pure and I'm holy. No, he says, Jesus, why don't you come hang out and I'm going to invite all the broken and we're going to come together and we're just going to be broken before you because we all need you. I love that. He doesn't try and hide his mess. He, he openly shares his mess with Christ and says, come and be part of this. I need you. So many application points for this. You guys aren't going to remember any of them, so maybe I'll write a blog or something. But listen, Jesus, nothing's stopping him from calling you. Follow him today. Christian, non-Christian, wherever you're at, follow him today. Okay. Verse 17, let's wrap this up. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is one of the most famous lines in all scripture, right? See these on pillows? We talk about pillow verses, okay? He came not to call the righteous, but to call the sick. And here's, here's what's interesting is, is Jesus makes this, this call, and you would think then uh, that this should be bad news for the Pharisees and the scribes. Like, oh, Jesus got them. They're out. Okay? Because they're acting like the righteous here. But here's the reality. Jesus is actually not saying, hey, there's these two different groups and one's out and one's in. He's literally saying, all of you are actually sick and all of you need me as your physician. He's saying, listen, you got something, it's terminal, and there's only one cure and it's not do better. And it's not be cleaner. It's not clean up your act. It's just Jesus. It's, he said, it's me. I'm here. Throughout the, from the beginning, right? When we fell, when we sinned, when we were disobedient, Jesus was the answer the whole time. You read the Old Testament, everything points to him being the answer. And he's now here in this moment and saying, I'm here, I've come, you're sick, I'm the cure. It's nothing else. And over and over and over, we live in a culture that influences, influences me, influences every Christian in the room, influences the non-Christian, influences the entire world that says, no, you've got to earn it, you need to clean up your act, you've got to be a good person. That's what gets you in. Okay? I remember I was watching, how many people watch the show Lost? Okay. Yes. No. Wow, that is disappointing, church. Okay. We're starting a new series called Lost next week. It's going to be eight seasons, okay? Uh, so eight, six, I don't even remember. I don't, I don't remember like the last four because okay, they were terrible. But um, a show called Lost, and I remember the show ends. And, if, and I'm try, I've, I try not to ruin the show if, if you're ever going to go watch it because you should. But at the end, there's just kind of a terrible ending. But what happened is they, get, they go on Jimmy Kimmel afterwards, and all the actors are on Jimmy Kimmel, and he's doing this Lost special and, and here's, here's a quote directly, and we're watching this, and it's a bunch of guys, me and some friends from the church, and, uh, and, and we're all just sitting around. We're, we love the show. We're excited to hear kind of what the cast has to say about it, and they say this about the show. They, or Jimmy Kimmel says this, not about the show, rather, but about, uh, about 
the ending of the show. He says, a lot of religions, Christianity being one of them, is the idea is that life is a test, that you go through your life, and if you're good, you go to heaven, but if you're bad, you don't. You go to hell or whatever. Right, so, so Jimmy Kimmel comes on right after the show and he says, hey, listen up, world, the millions and millions and millions of people that watch this show, you all know what Christianity says, that if you're good, you go to heaven, and if you're bad, you go to hell. We all know that's what it says. And everyone buys hook, line, and sinker into this lie of deception. When the beauty of what we see in Scripture, the beauty of the Gospel, it is the exact opposite of that. That there is nothing you could possibly do to be good enough. There is no way to earn your way to God. It's not about being good. It's not about being bad. It's about Jesus. Here's what I find fascinating about this story. In the last two stories we saw, in every instance, Jesus should have been made unclean, but he wasn't. He cleanses those that were unclean. The truth is, is he wasn't made unclean in these three stories, but the bottom line is, is that it will come a day, and it's a couple years from this story now, where Jesus would have to be made unclean, that we would be made clean forever. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him, God made him, Jesus, to be sin, to be unclean, who knew no sin, who was perfect, who was clean, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So it's so incredible and so fascinating about these stories. You see all these moments where Jesus is like, not yet. No, no, I'm going I'm to clean you. I won't, I won't be unclean knowing full well there was to come a moment where he would embody unclean, where he would embody sin, where he would take the uncleanness, the sin of every person in this room, past, present, future, put that on his shoulders, become that he would be made unclean, that we would be made clean. He would be made sin, that we would be made righteous. He would take on the death we deserve, that we would experience life. That is the truth of the gospel. It's not this Jimmy Kimmel, it's not this culturalized version of what we hear over and over and over about being good enough. It doesn't exist. No one has that to claim. It's about him. It's about the fact that almost 2,000 years ago, and we're going to celebrate this on Good Friday and Easter, and I cannot wait. It's going to be amazing. Remember the moment where God... Jesus Christ came after living the perfect life and he died the death we deserved, becoming sin on our behalf. Three days later, raising to give us new life. That is the gospel story. And it's because of that story, realize that is the story, that is the thread that, author, that the author has brought through the entire Bible. And through in everything that we've read, every story, we're like, this doesn't quite make sense. Remember I said, there's always reasons why it doesn't make sense for Christ to call me, you, or Levi. The only reason it does is because of Christ. It's because of the gospel. Because of 2 Corinthians 5.21, because he would have made sin that we would be made righteous. He knew it was coming. And so we look back now on this story and we celebrate. Because God has asked, follow me. And then he's provided the way to make that possible. And so I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to, I'm going to read four questions. Okay? 
Three of them are, are for, for Christians, if you're here and you're a follower of Christ. And then one of them's for, for those of you here who are just visiting and you're not quite bought in yet. Or maybe you're just completely anti, I don't know. But one question before you, and we'll spend some time in reflection. But let's pray right now, thank God for the work that he's done and the fact that he calls us, even as sinners. Jesus, thank you for your grace. God, thank you for your mercy. God, you are, uh, it, it really is just astonishing. I, I didn't really see the need for you for a long time. And then I did, and then every day since then, I just realized it even more. And God, I pray that would be true until the day I die. I pray that for our, everyone here who loves you, that we would not gain not so much knowledge, we would not gain so much wisdom, we would not become prideful as to think, God, that the further we get down this journey, the less we need you, the more independent. The, the, it's just returning to our old ways. God, thank you that in the midst of, um, of my own sin and my own brokenness, God, you saw fit to say, follow me. You saw fit to bring me in. Thank you for that call that you've given me. Thank you for the call that you've given everyone in this room and everyone in this world to follow you. And so, God, I, I do pray for, for anyone here who's just, they're, they're, they're just cataloging the brokenness of their life, they're cataloging the sins. God, I, I pray that they would see that Christ still says follow. Come be mine. I pray for those in here that are trying to base their relationship with God on their religious endeavor and pursuit, their own actions, their own righteousness. God, that there too would be repentance, that they would hear even in the midst of that, God says, follow me. You need not try and earn it. I've done it already. God, we just celebrate your grace this morning. God, we pray that you would lead us in our response. In your name we pray. Amen. So like I said, a few questions. Um, and I, we will sit in reflection for probably about, I'll give it a little longer time today, two, three minutes, and just sit. I want you guys to ponder these questions based on where you land. Someone says, if, uh, Christian, if, if you're worried that God would not accept you or would not love you, because of your sin and brokenness, right? That, that you were in and, and you followed at one time, but you're, just, you're here and you're like, man, I've just got a trail of tears behind me. Right? There's just brokenness, there's sin, I don't know how I got here, that type of thing. And you're just like, man, does he still want me? Is he still saying follow me? I, I, I want you to just ask yourself, what does this story say to you? What is, what is Christ saying? Follow, what, what does that communicate to you in this moment? Next, um, if you're a Christian here and you're, rest, you, you're resting in your religiosity and good behavior, if you're a Christian and you're just saying, I'm gonna keep, God, I want to keep proving it to you that I'm in and I'm for you, and, and you're living off this, man, God will love me because I show up on Sundays. God will love me because I do these things for him. You're missing the gospel just as much. What does this story speak to that reality? Are you still sick? Do we always still need Jesus? Okay. If you're in a Christian and you know, you're confident in the gospel, you're confident in your relationship, you have this healthy balance between, uh, between humility and, and the right amount of like gust, you know, just the whole deal, everything is, is just going well and you love Christ. My question for you is, how often are you engaging sinners? 
how, how often are you engaging those who, who don't know about Christ? And what are the reasons why maybe you're not? What are you afraid of? Okay. And lastly, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I, again, I want to say thank you. I know it's, a, it's, it's tough to show up sometimes. I just want to ask you, what's stopping you today from just saying, man, I'm in? What's stopping you from being Levi, from being Peter, from being Andrew, from being James, from being John, from being the millions and millions and millions and millions of people who said, I'm in? What stops you this morning saying, no, I will follow you? Process those things. Okay. Answer those questions for me, and then we'll come up. We'll do a time of response. We'll ask God to, to intervene.